Let's do that hockey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 117 of Dauber Prospects Radio. Thanks for coming back for another show. Uh, today's episode is going to be pretty awesome. I'm pretty pumped to be talking to my Los Angeles Kings top prospects uh, guest, none other than John Hoven, the mayor himself, Mayor's Manor. You might know him from that website. Uh, you'll hear him on Satellite Radio. You'll hear him on the Kings of the Pod podcast. Uh, really pleased to be joined right now by by John. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to talking about prospects. One of my favorite one of my favorite topics. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thanks for coming on. You guys are uh, are pretty much the Bible, the go to for uh, all things Los Angeles Kings insiders, um, and particularly the prospect information, the rankings that uh, comes out on your site. It's got a lot more thought put into it than than my rankings not to say that I don't work hard at my own but I'm not connected like you are with guys like the GMs and the scouts and the director of player development for the Los Angeles Kings so I'm really excited to have someone with with your kind of insider knowledge who can really just destroy my rankings as we go through it (laughs) well I think the more important thing is just to uh you know share some data points about about each of the players and um you know, uh, thank you for the for, for the kind words, though, there. I do certainly appreciate it. And yeah, we've uh, we put a lot of work into our rankings through the years and the number of people that we talk to uh, from scouts to GMs to coaches and um, even the players themselves and just kind of getting input on their own game or, or maybe even about some of their peers. Uh, a lot goes into putting the rankings together. And so I think that's one of the reasons that uh, it, they've been so well received by by so many Kings fans and even just prospect gurus, uh, you know, over the last decade or so. Yep. I'm really excited to get tucked right into it. So, but before we do, I kind of like to just take a look at at where the Kings are right now. So they had that um, close to a dynasty run, you could consider. They won a a number of Stanley Cups in a short period of time. Uh, The core of the team kind of, kind of blown up a little bit. Now you still got some stragglers left. Jonathan Quick's not quite the guy he was when they were winning cups. Drew Doughty is still there. He's still, he's still on top of his game. But, uh, you know, they, they have been in the playoffs for a few seasons now, and they've had some pretty good draft picks, and they have done just a phenomenal job of stocking the prospect cupboard. They have arguably the best prospect pool in the NHL, and to come up with a top 10 left off some, some pretty relevant prospects. Uh, I got some honorable mentions here that I hope we'll have time to get to, but, I mean, you could make a top 25 and still have players probably on the outside that would make other teams top tens like, you know, Seattle or Pittsburgh or whatever. So uh, they're, they're in a rebuild. I think they're right now that the Kings are coming out of that. Uh, they're, they're contending for a playoff spot this year. They've got some, some veterans on the team still that are, that are leading the way. Uh, they have got some young players who are contributing on the roster, some under 25 guys. And what's even more exciting about that is, is what's coming down the pipe. So where do you see the Los Angeles Kings in, in their, I, as an identity right now, they're, they're a team that's out of the rebuild and is, and is going forward or, or just transitioning or, or still, still adding. Uh, well, they're still adding for sure. They're, they're, they're a couple of those things. Uh, so, so first off, I would say they're, they're out of the rebuild in the sense of the rebuild initially, when they decided to pull the bandaid off of things in December, 2018 uh, was about kind of tearing it down and recreating who this team was going to be. Because you're right, from 2010 to 2015-ish, they were a pretty dominant team in the league. Uh, Then, you know, 
they had some struggles and they tried to reload there a couple of times. Dean Lombardi made a couple of key trades trying to reload. And then the change in the general manager uh, with Rob Blake uh, and they, you know, did a couple of free agent moves and did some things again, trying to reload uh, because you're talking about four core players that have been the backbone of the franchise. You mentioned a couple of them earlier and, you know, three of them playing a thousand games together with the same team. Uh, and, you know, three of the four arguably going to the Hall of Fame and Andre Kopitar, Drew Doughty, and Jonathan Quick, um, all four of them, including Dustin Brown, but their numbers going to the rafters. So it's been about recreating the team around them and, and trying to see if there's another window to win uh, before that core four is, is broken up in some form or fashion. And uh, from that standpoint, you know, phase one is behind them. Uh, they traded away uh, Jake Muzzin, Alec Martinez, Tyler Toffoli, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, 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 the secondary or complementary parts to those core four players. And they've started to then add to that group. Uh, you saw last summer, the first real major additions um, to the core four, adding in a free agent signing in Philippe Deneau, adding through a trade of a couple draft picks to get Victor Argentson. Um, that, that influx along with the further development of one of their early prospects in Adrian Kempe, uh, and one of their more recent prospects in Arthur Kaliev. And so Mikey Anderson, Toby Bjornfoot, you add them into the mix as well. Uh, you add, you know, Cal Peterson, who they signed as an unrestricted free agent coming out of college. So they're, they're past the tear it down part. They're now into the add uh, part. They have some complementary parts and guys like Oli Mata, uh, Andres Anthonisiu, who are, who are bridge players, placeholders. Um, and they probably won't be part of the team next year. Uh, but they were they were placeholders to to allow some of those kids to further develop in the minor leagues, and um, now they're they're definitely in the ad position. So they came into the year. I predicted that they would uh, they would have enough to make the playoffs, and uh, they're they're making me look good so far. They're sitting in second place, and if you look at the remaining uh, games that are available, it, it would require an epic failure to not make the playoffs. Uh, they have a schedule that's favorable to them. And they should be able to make the playoffs this year. And that'll be a, a really solid redemption for, uh, or, you know, a, a level of satisfaction for the last couple of years of what fans have had to go through waiting for all of this to come to fruition. And then to your last phrase in terms of going for it, I think you'll see um, at least one, if not two additional significant ads over the summer uh, and or at the trade deadline next year. And they hopefully will be uh, back in contention for more than just making the playoffs, but actually looking to win, win a couple of rounds and have some more fun uh, beginning next season. Right. Well, they are in second place and it would take the uh, a Toronto Maple Leafs style breakdown for them to not make it. <laughs> but as, as a follower of the Leafs, I'm, uh, it's possible. Um so let's hope that it doesn't happen like that. And you, you talk about them maybe acquiring and, and adding more uh, players via trade. That would probably come from some of their, their prospect pool and then future picks because they've got so many prospects that I think they'd be in the getting close to the stage where they'd be okay with um, using draft currency to acquire players that can help them win immediately. So let's talk about some of their, their top prospects. Um, I know your guys' rankings will be out in a, in a couple of days. So probably by the time you're listening to this episode, you'll be able to compare my list uh, to the correct list at Mayor's Manor. Um, but I think we'll both probably have Quinton Byfield at number one. So let's, let's start there. Let's talk Quinton Byfield. Um, second overall draft pick. Played in uh, the American Hockey League last year. He's got 18 games under his belt this year. 
Uh, I think he's got all of the skills to be a future franchise number one center. He's drawn comparisons to Evgeny Malkin and Ansei Kopitar in, in, in his career uh, for projections for his upside. Uh, what I was most impressed about with watching him live um, back when he was with Sudbury was when you think about a big power forward and, you know, back then he, people were, were making comparisons to Eric Lindros, which I don't think is a very good comparison other than they're both very tall and, and big, but he skates so much better than Lindros ever did. He's such a fluid skater, um, but he doesn't play quite as, as mean and as aggressively as Lindros does. So those are a couple of big differences from, from that uh, flawed comparison. Not to say that Byfield doesn't have tremendous upside. I'm, I'm a really big fan of his. Uh, you've probably seen him play in the uh, American Hockey League and the NHL a lot more than I have. So how has he looked playing at the pro level? And um, you know, what uh, what are we looking at for him in, in the near future? Is, is, is he going to fill that potential and how soon? Uh, so a couple of comments there. First off, I uh, wasn't aware of the Eric Lindros comparison, but uh, it, it just further cements my, my thoughts that I, I don't like uh, NHL player comparisons. I know they're, they're easy to make and that, and that fans love to, to make them so that they can sort of understand what they're getting in a player. But it really does a disservice to not only the current player, but also the, the original player. And you're right. Uh, Eric Lindros is a terrible comparison to Quentin Byfield. Uh, one's more of a power forward and uh, one is more, you know, more silk than sandpaper, uh, mm-hmm. if, if you will. So uh, maybe a comparison to Andre Kopitar is, is, is more fair. Uh, and it's something here in Los Angeles that certainly has been talked about. But look, when it comes to QB, um, he's in the best possible situation. Uh, if, if the pandemic had not hit uh, last year, he would have been in the Ontario Hockey League. He would not have played one year of pro. So both he and Arthur Kaliev were ticketed to go back to the OHL last season. Uh, should, should the OHL have been playing with the OHL shut down due to the, the global pandemic, it allowed them to play in the AHL, which was tremendous for their career. Cause there's nothing, there's nothing you can do in junior hockey, or even for that matter, there's nothing you can do internationally. That's going to prepare you for the American hockey league, which is the second best league in the world to get you ready for the NHL. So a year in the AHL last year, what I would say is uh, it, it took Byfield about 10 games to figure out pro hockey. And that's a pretty scary thought. Uh, the first 10 games of the year last year, he, he was, you know, I don't want to say he was lost, but I would say he certainly, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't keeping up or he wasn't playing his best hockey. Uh, you get Pat, 10 games later, uh, the guy was a seasoned pro in the American hockey league and it was phenomenal uh, to watch. And, and all of his metrics took off from there. And he had, a, he had a great second half of the season. And he was a long shot to make the Kings roster. If you would have asked me in August, is he going to make the Kings roster? The answer would have been no. Uh, they had him penciled in for Ontario at that point. But he came in, he had such a strong training camp. Um, and he really earned a job in training camp. And he was going to make the opening night roster. And, and the injury sidelined him for a couple of months. So fast forward to December, you know, past COVID, et cetera. Did a conditioning assignment in the AHL. And now he's playing in the NHL. He's doing exactly what he needs to be doing. Anybody that has these grandiose ideas that he should be, you know, playing on the second line is wrong. Anybody that thinks he should be producing a bunch of points right now is wrong. And anybody that thinks that he should be on the power play right now is wrong. If you look last year, he wasn't a big power play contributor, uh, despite the success that he had in the American Hockey League. He has not been a point producer at five on five in the NHL. So his power play time will come. He's right where he needs to be. He's played about 20 games in the NHL. His development is going to continue. 
Uh, he's on the third line. And one of the reasons they went out and signed Philippe Deneau was so that Deneau could play on the second line and that Byfield could play as a third line center uh, doing his apprenticeship uh, for a couple of years. And they saw with Gabe Velarde the pressure that it put on Gabe, trying to get him to move up into uh, the second line when they traded Jeff Carter. And it's just, it's too much for a young player. Too much, too fast, too soon. And we all would love to see rookies enter the league and go Timu Solani and score 76 goals. And it just doesn't happen that way anymore. <laughs> it takes guys a while. And Adrian Kempe, I've, I've talked about a lot recently, is a, is a perfect case study. It's taken him many years as a professional to now sort of unlock this 35 goal potential that's in him. So uh, patience is the word when it comes to Quentin Byfield. And what I would say is don't evaluate Quentin Byfield on the score sheet. Uh, You're doing, you're, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. If you want to evaluate Quentin Byfield, just watch the game and watch Quentin Byfield. And when he's on the ice, watch how he performs. You'll be impressed and you'll see why the Kings took him number two overall. And you'll also gain a lot of confidence that he will eventually uh, move into a top six role and, and be a highly effective center, you know, for a decade uh, wearing a Kings uniform. Yeah, you said he came in last year into the American Hockey League by default because the OHL was shut down. Um, I, I had a lot of a couple of debates with different people before last season's season began and then never began in the OHL. And I was on the impression that I, I didn't think that he should go and play in the NHL, that he's, you know, as an 18 year old, he wasn't ready. There's no rush. Let him go back to the OHL for another year and, and dominate at that level. The OHL didn't happen. So it kind of worked out well for him because I, he's a tweener, right? Like he's, he's kind of too yes. good for the OHL, but I don't think he was good enough for the NHL at 18 years old. So getting a short season in the American Hockey League worked out really well for him. And then playing 10 games in, as an 18 year old, in the American hockey league and being a little lost or a deer in the headlights, there's nothing wrong with that, man. It's, it is a humongous step forward going from junior hockey to pro hockey at the American hockey league level. So it's kind of night and day. Uh, So you like where he's at. You like the development path that the Kings have him on and, and you see him blossoming into that franchise player that you would expect with a second overall pick. Uh, when, when do you think the light goes off for him and, and he just vaults up the depth chart onto the, the first and second line and gets his power play time? Well, I think that he'll get power play time before he, he takes a spot on, the, on one of the top two lines. Um, I could see him potentially at the, in the second half of next season, maybe seeing some spot duty on the second line. But more realistically, I think, I think it's at least another season away. Phil Deneau has been uh, everything they could have ever hoped for offensively uh, this season in Los Angeles. And there's no reason to believe that Deneau is going to have a season of regression next year. So I think, I think uh, Deneau will be just fine as the second C next year. The longer that Deneau is the second C, the better off it is for Byfield because it just allows him to continue to blossom. And if he's producing on that third line role and pushing for a second line role, that's even better because it gives the Kings three, you know, three centers and they're being deep down the middle. And that uh, certainly will bring up memories of when the Kings were dominant during their cup years of being deep down the middle. So there's no rush to get him there. Uh, you have Kopitar long-term, you have Deneau long-term and Byfield can, can just, uh, you know, develop at the proper pace. Right on. So fantasy owners, be patient with Byfield. You got another year or two to go. Moving on my list. Number two, I went with their uh, first overall well, not first overall, their first pick from uh, the 2021 draft, eighth overall, 
Brent Clark, Barry Colts. Bit of a surprise that he wasn't named to the Canadian World Junior roster for that tournament that never happened. I was super shocked by that, as a matter of fact. I would have considered him to be a lock as a returning player. Um, but he's had a pretty nice season so far in, um, in the OHL, playing with uh, Barry. Yes, the Barry Colts. He's got 53 points in 46 games, over a point a game as a defenseman. That's good at any level. Uh, is this the Los Angeles Kings? Is they got the plans on him as being the eventual successor as the franchise defenseman taking over from Drew Doughty? Well, uh, part of that answer would be absolutely yes. The second part of the answer is if you think it's going to be difficult for Byfield uh, to work his way up into a top six role, it's going to be a Herculean effort to try to wrestle away franchise defenseman tag from Drew Doughty. Uh, you know, on his way to the Hall of Fame, he's not giving up that spot anytime soon. But you mentioned there that Clark has had a you know a good season. Uh, it's beyond good. He's having a, a, an historic season, uh, a record level season not just from his points production, but if you look at some of the underlying metrics as well, uh, Clark is a phenom and he's done some phenomenal things offensively. And uh, that's why I firmly believe he'll be in Los Angeles next year. Here's, here's a thought for you. Uh, and we're going to include this in our rankings and talking to some people inside the organization, probably the best power play uh, person that the Kings have in their organization uh, playing professional hockey is Gabe Velarde. And, if you extend that to anybody that's sort of within their the organization pro or non-pro, the best power uh, play person in the organization would be Clark and he's playing in the OHL. So uh, this guy has tremendous upside. He'll be put into the power play immediately uh, in, in Los Angeles. And you could look for him to provide a, a big offensive punch. Uh, Brent, Brent Clark is a very impressive uh, young player with, with uh, a, an extremely bright future. And uh, the Kings were, were very happy that he was, sitting there uh, at number eight and, and the draft kind of fell exactly as they, as they wanted. And I know a lot of organizations kind of say that, uh, you know, Oh, uh, you know, we got, we exactly got the player we wanted. Um, but I would just caution people before you uh, think it's a cliche, go back onto mayor's manor and look at the predictions that we had the week coming into the draft of who the Kings were going to take and who they wanted to get at number eight. And uh, you will see no surprise. Brant Clark was at the top of that list. So things played well for LA to be able to have their franchise center in QB and to have their franchise defenseman in, uh, well, the other 55. It's ironic that they both want to wear 55 in LA, but uh, to have that in Brant Clark, the Kings are in a really, really rock solid position. And uh, to your point from earlier, it gives them the comfort to be able to use some of their prospects and draft picks as capital to be able to make some trades here uh, and, and, and do make those additions that I talked about earlier. It really is an embarrassment of riches, isn't it? Like there's just so much, Absolutely. <laughs> there's so much high end depth with this prospect pool. It's, it's sickening. Um, okay. So the next guy I have on, on my list after uh, Brent Clark is Alex Turcotte. He's a center drafted uh, in 2019 fifth overall by the Los Angeles Kings. Now at the time I thought that was a, a very, Astute quality pick. Um, they they passed over guys like uh, Maurice Sider, Dylan Cousins, Trevor Zegras, and Spencer Knight to select Trevor. Uh, sorry, Alex Turcott. Um, now, I wouldn't say that that's a bust by any stretch of the imagination, but would you think that maybe, given the way these guys have all developed since then, that they wouldn't mind maybe a do over on that? I mean, Turcott's got eighteen points, twenty six games in the American Hockey League. That's not bad, but. Trevor Zegras is scoring highlight real goals at the all-star game and, and in the NHL, um, you know, uh, Spencer Knight is looking like a franchise goalie, something that I don't have a goalie in the Kings top 10 in my rankings. 
Um, I don't want to throw shade at uh, Alex Turcott here. I think he's an excellent prospect, but did they make the right choice? I'll say this, uh, and I'll probably turn off a couple of your listeners right now, so I apologize. But uh, <laughs> I think it's a I think it's a fool's game to go back and look at the draft that way. I yeah. think instead, what you have to do is you. What was the situation that was present that particular day? Uh, the Kings were not going to take a goaltender number five. They just f- philosophically management is not going to take a goaltender that high. Uh, Cider was not predicted or expected to go uh, that high. So you can look at that. What the Kings really came down to, uh, and, and I wrote a lot about this at the time, was either Zegris uh, or Turcotte. And that's probably the two players that they were, they had four players in mind, but that's probably what the decision came down to. The LA Kings that year, and again, context is important. The Kings had three picks in the first 35 that year. They had that pick. They had a pick that was uh, late first round. I believe it was around 22nd. And then they also had a pick that was uh, second overall uh, in the, in the, um, in, in the second round, which ended up being Kaliev. The plan going into that was to, uh, to take two forwards and one defenseman. They did exactly, they executed their plan perfectly. They did exactly what they wanted to do. So now you're saying, well, why Alex Turcotte instead of somebody else? That was a critical point in the organization's rebuild because, again, go back to the timing. December of 18 is when they decided to pull the Band-Aid off and they decided that they were going to go full rebuild. So this was the first draft that they had after that, and they had three draft picks in the first 35 picks. They needed those three picks to hit. And so one of the things that they were looking for was what is the highest likelihood that this person is going to be a guaranteed NHL player. That's different than the way that sometimes when you evaluate a, uh, some, um, a player and you say, what is this player's floor and what is this player's ceiling? Well, in addition to a floor and a ceiling, you also have a probability. What's the probability of that player hitting their ceiling? What's the probability of them hitting their floor? What's the probability of them being a guaranteed NHLer? They needed a guaranteed NHLer uh, in that pick, and that's what they believed that they were getting in Turcotte. And uh, Zegers is a phenomenal pick. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Zegers does amazing things. He's the highlight reel. He's a YouTube video waiting to happen. But there also are some holes in his game. He's a different type of player. Uh, You know, there still remains questions about, uh, you know, center versus wing. I know they sent him down last year to try to learn to play center. Um, He needs to play with somebody who's kind of defensively responsible. We talk about that uh, on some other podcasts and some other shows taking nothing away from Zegers. He's, you know, from a fantasy owner's perspective, from a fan perspective, he's a really exciting player. Uh, but at, let's, not, let's not throw shade on Alex Turcotte. He's a very special player. Um, he, he does things that uh, help dominate possession, that create anxiety for the opposition, that create turnovers, that drive offense for his line mates. Uh, and let's also forget that the guy who was doing all the dirty work when Trevor Zegers was uh, burying goals and, and, and earning the MVP for USA at the World Juniors, that was Alex Turcotte. So Alex Turcotte really brings a lot to a team, and he's the type of player that the LA Kings needed at that moment. They didn't know that they were going to be able to uh, be a top five, uh, get a top five pick the following year. They were going to get number two overall, and they didn't know they were going to get Quentin Byfield. So you, you have to go back to place and time that weekend in the draft in 2019 and did they make a solid pick? Yeah, they made the safe pick. They made a solid pick. And uh, Alex Turcotte's going to be an NHL player. I guess the real question is, is it going to be in Los Angeles or is it going to be somewhere else? Only because the Kings have that treasure chest of riches that you said. And at some point you have to give to get. And, uh, you know, they don't want to lose Alex Turcotte. But, I mean, they don't want to lose any of their prospects. So <laughs> it's, 
is Turcotte going to, will, will he start uh, or begin his, his real NHL career? You know, the first half of his NHL career, will it be with the LA Kings? I certainly hope, hope so uh, because he was, he was the Kickstarter to the rebuild and uh, this team's about to, about to do something special here over the next couple of years. So it would be kind of cool to see Turcotte be part of that. Okay. Yeah. So I guess the problem with, with Turcotte is, um, you know, it's a 21 man roster and you can only play so many guys. Uh, so the next player I have on my list, uh, another player I watched play in junior is Arthur Kaliev and he's a goal scorer. He's a sniper and he's uh, he's made the team this year and he's got himself 57 games played this season. So maybe not really a prospect anymore. Um, so, you know, we don't need to talk too long about this guy and he's got 20 points in 57 games. So he's having a pretty good season. Uh, 11 goals uh, and he's got some size and he skates pretty well as well. Uh, is this, this is a guy that's, that's in the Kings long-term plans, obviously. Yes. Oh, for sure. Uh, you go back to what I just talked about a moment ago and those three picks in 2019 and they had to get two forwards and one defenseman. Uh, Toby Bjornfoot as the defenseman has already played over 82 games. And, you know, he's, he's one of the youngest players in the NHL. Uh, Kal- Kaliev has graduated off of our list. So you won't see Arthur Kaliev uh, on our list, but, uh, really enjoy watching Artie play, uh, lo- love the Artie party. And uh, he's so versatile. He can play right side. He can play left side. He doesn't mind playing on his offside. Uh, he's, he's rounding out his game to come up with sort of a, a C game, if you will. You know, his A game is putting pucks in the net. He has a very strong B game. I've said for many years, his passing game is underrated. Um, and, and he's developing a C game as well. He spent most of the year, or all of this year, really, playing on the Kings fourth line. And uh, as we record this, he's been promoted to the top line. And the expectation is that here uh, over the next couple of weeks, he's going to see significant time on the top line. The LA Kings need him and want him to be a top six player sooner rather than later, at the very least in the second half of last, or excuse me, next season. Uh, but if there's a way to, uh, you know, have him ascend into that role late this year and perhaps in the playoffs or even as early as next year, that would be a good thing for coach Todd McClellan and, also for, uh, you know, for someone like Andre Kopitar, who he's been blessed this year with Kempe on his wing and to be able to have Kaliev there would be, would be phenomenal. So it'll be very interesting to see how Artie does uh, over the next two to three weeks in his, his latest audition uh, as a top line player. Right on. And another player who's next on my list is probably another graduate for you because this I wrote this earlier in the season. Uh, I'm just kind of getting around to this podcast episode now, but I've got at fifth, 21-year-old Rasmus Kapari. And, you know, what I like about him is he's a winner. He's, he's won a lot of international and, 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 and whatnot uh, tournaments and games. Um, his, his offensive stats for fantasy purposes aren't really eye-popping. He's got nine points in 37 games this season. Um, but he's got just a super high compete level. He's a very versatile player. Um, he skates well. He's good defensively. Um, he's got uh, a tenacious for checking game and the jack of all trades master of none maybe is, is was kind of my scouting report on him uh i'm not sure if he'll be a graduate from your list or not uh and what your scouting report on him is if it differs from mine at all what's your what's your take on kapari yeah we have him in our top 10 we don't have him ranked as high as you do um he unfortunately has had a, a what i would consider to be a pretty disappointing season uh, the plan this year coming into the season was to move him from center to wing uh, however, when Gabe Velarde was sent back to the American Hockey League for, the, for basically the balance of the season, um, Kapari was moved over to center because uh, Byfield was out hurt. 
and so uh, he spent he spent some time in the NHL as a center. Really, he should have been on the wing. He's uh, now playing back in the American Hockey League, but hasn't been putting up points. So the disappointing season uh, comment really is from the standpoint of it would have been great to see Kapari push the envelope to uh, to to really prove to the LA Kings that he shouldn't have been sent back to the American League. And um, you know whether there was an initial uh, sadness or, or or depression or sulking or whatever, uh, you have to quickly get over that. You know, Gabe Velarde has been a point per game player down there. Uh, Quinton Byfield has produced when he's gone back as well for a conditioning assignment. And you would have wanted to see the same thing from Kapari. The challenge with Kapari is really that he needs to not play a perimeter game. Um, he needs to play more of the North American game and, and, and be a driver. Uh, he's versatile. Yes, that's true. Uh, but I don't think he's a center. He, he's more of a wing. And if he's to make it in the NHL, especially in Los Angeles, it needs to be as a wing. So uh, unfortunately for Rasmus Kapari, he's a little bit further down our list. Um, and we're just going to have to see, uh, again, another player that may not have uh, a, a, a spot in Los Angeles as we go forward, because with his uh, entry-level contract expiring, you know, uh, you have to find a spot for him, and I'm not sure what the defined role is for Rasmus Kapari. So uh, if he does move on to another team and, and they slot him in properly and give him the minutes and let him play as a wing, uh, I think there's a lot to like there, and I can see some some career comparables to somebody like an Adrian Kempe that uh, in a few years from now, he, he could be putting up some impressive offensive numbers. It, it's within him. He has the skill. The question is just the timing of it and when he's going to choose to do it. Yeah. I have him a, a little bit higher on my list because he's 21. I think he's a little bit closer to being an NHL regular. And so there's a little bit more uh, certainty into what you're, you're getting out of him and a little less uh, volatility. Um, I'd have him lower on a fantasy ranking as well. A player who I'm going to move up on my list next time I do this is uh, Francesco Pinelli. I have him at number six. He's the Kings uh, 21 second round pick. They got him at 42nd overall. And a lot of the pre-draft lists from the, uh, the wannabe experts like myself had this guy as a first round talent and the rich get richer. The Kings get him in the second round. Hard to scout him last season because, you know, the the, the COVID situation. Um, so he didn't get to play a season in the OHL. I think he played in Europe somewhere. Um, and then he also played for, for Canada at the U18s. Um, I think skating is the knock on his game, and perhaps that's why he dropped down more than a lack of, of viewings or a combination there of the two. Um, what, what have you thought of, uh, this, this player since he's been drafted with the Kings, he's been a point of game player in the OHL this season. Now that the league's returned. Uh, just, I want to clarify something I said a moment ago, talking about Kapari's entry level contract so that people, uh, don't take it out of context. His contract did slide early on. So he does have one more year left, uh, but the point is that, you know, at some point he's going to come off that entry level deal. So he does have another year to play with in order to, to achieve that. Uh, and, and so I, I, I perhaps might've given the impression that it's a, it's a summertime decision and that wasn't what I was getting at. So uh, back to Pinelli. Uh, well, here's, an, here's another player where you and I would uh, disagree on uh, Pinelli. He's not a top 10 player on our list. Uh, so I guess uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, and, that, and, and, and the main reason for that basically is that while he, um, while he is somebody who, you know, really strives to please his coaches and uh, drives his team, you know, offensively, and I know that they put the captaincy on him and everything like that. Um, there's There are a lot of raw tools here. Um, however, he really needs to learn to train like a pro. He's a very young player. And uh, for that reason, you know, he, he's not going to be 
uh, turning pro anytime soon. And so uh, he, he has time to, to sort, of, sort of round into the player that he's going to need to be. But right now, I, I just see a lot of raw skill. And uh, there are... for an organization that's very uh, uh, deep in prospects, unfortunately, he's not able to crack the top 10. So we'll see. We'll fast forward a year from now. I'm very curious to see where he is in our rankings one year from today. Yeah, that's an interesting take for sure. Um, I would agree with you in the fact that he is a he's a long term prospect. We're talking multiple years before I mean, he's uh, he's competing to be a, a contributing regular player in the top six with with Los Angeles. Next guy on my list, I go defense here with uh, Sean Dursey. So here's a player who was drafted in the second round by the Maple Leafs and acquired in the Jake Muzzin trade. Um, he's had a pretty good career and is playing in the NHL now. So again, a player who may qualify as a graduate for your list. Um, but by the time I wrote this, he was he was still south of you know, 25 games played. Now he's got 40 this season and he's looking at 16 points. So he was a little bit hot there for a while. And I think he's kind of cooled down a little bit since I did my rankings, how's his season going and where do you see him trending and projecting? Is he in their, their long-term plans as a, as a power play specialist? Well, in the spirit of full transparency, what I would tell you is we made a, a, an executive decision on Jersey in terms of including him. Normally we use the 50 game mark, 50 games in the NHL, is kind of the standard of, of removing people or graduating people off of our list. Uh, we're going to give Jersey a pass and we're going to go ahead and I would call it pre-graduate him. Uh, so, uh, we're, he's not going to be on our list, even though he hasn't met the criteria. And the reason for that is twofold. Number one, um, he wasn't in our top 10 last year. He was an honorable mention. And I'll get to that in just a second. Uh, and the second reason is that he will play 50 games uh, here very quickly because the plan is to play him in Los Angeles for the balance of the year. So he, he, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for us to put him in, in our top 10. Now you say, well, hold on. Why was he an honorable mention? And then, you know, he's playing in the NHL this year. Uh, Sean Dursey ha- has always been, we, we know who Sean Dursey is. The day they traded for Sean Dursey, everybody knew he's an offensive player uh, who needed a lot of work on his defense. And he spent some time in the Ontario, or excuse me, in the American hockey league, first under the tutelage of Mike Stuthers, the coach of the Ontario reign. And then, uh, under under uh, John Robleski and uh, that sort of thing. Jersey worked on his defensive game. Um, the offense has always been there. His defense was surprisingly much better once he was called up to the NHL. Uh, so a lot of praise should be given to Sean Jersey for the adjustments he's played that are made in his game. A lot of credit should be given to guys like Trent Yanni, the assistant coach in Los Angeles, as well as the development staff, guys like Sean O'Donnell, um, who've worked with Jersey to round out his game. He has been an absolute beyond pleasant surprise in Los Angeles this year. I think anybody who follows the the organization closely, you know, would have bet you a pizza and a soda that Sean Dursey was not going to be in LA this year. And that if he did get called up, he wasn't going to be the contributor that he's ended up being. He's, He's become a key component of the offense on the back end. Those are all the positives. Uh, now comes your other question. Where does he fit in long-term? Well, here's the problem. The Kings are loaded on the right side. Dowdy's not going anywhere. Matt Roy, who brings a defensive responsibility that the Kings don't necessarily have within their group of six, he's not going anywhere. So you have two spots that are already taken. If you had Jersey, there's three. Uh, You have Brock Faber, who I'm sure we'll get to on your list at some point. Brock Faber 
It's going to turn expected to turn pro here next month and sign with the LA Kings. He'll start next year in the American Hockey League. He's going to be in the mix. You have Brant Clark. He's going to be in the mix. There's five guys right there. And I haven't even mentioned Sean Walker, who missed the entire season and is still under contract. So the Kings have some serious problems. And uh, I have a couple other names I'll throw at you when we get into your honorable mentions. The Kings have some problems. It's They're good problems, but nonetheless, on the right side uh, that could potentially involve Sean Dersey and, and or uh, Sean Walker uh, when, it, when it comes to future years. Uh, and, and I would just say this, uh, out of respect for a team that's in the middle of a, uh, you know, a playoff race and a season isn't completed, I would just put a little asterisk next to Dersey and say, let's talk about that um, when the season is over. And uh, maybe Dersey will have done enough uh, you know, that he's, he's forced the conversation to go left instead of going right. But I'm very intrigued to see how GM Rob Blake is going to be able to navigate this very, very difficult uh, water, stream of water, body of water that's ahead of him with, with, uh, with Dowdy, Matt Roy, Sean Dersey, Brant Clark, Brock Faber, uh, et cetera. So it, it'll be fun to watch. Not a bad problem to have, quite frankly. Nope, not at all. <laughs> yeah. All right. And you mentioned Brock Faber. He happens to be eighth guy on my list. So let's just cut right into him. Uh, I'm a huge fan of this kid. Not necessarily from a fantasy hockey perspective, because he's drafted as a physical defensive defenseman. But he's been showing some offensive chops since the Kings drafted him. The World Juniors, he had five points in seven games uh, in 21. And then this season as a uh, sophomore, in the American, or sorry, the NCAA. Uh, He's got 12 points again in 27 games. So he's duplicated what he did last season. Uh, And he played for USA at the Olympics. You might've caught him in Beijing where he played four games there. Uh, Didn't put up a lot of offense, did get an assist, but I mean, that's not why he was on that roster. Um, I really love this guy. Like I was talking about with Kupari, he's just a winner. He's the kind of guy that you win big games with. Um, so I am feeling like you, like you said, that this is a player that's likely going to, um, likely going to be finished his collegiate career at the end of the season. The fact that he made the Olympic roster is, is a really good indication of that. Uh, once the NCAA season's over and they're heading into their playoffs as we're recording this, it won't be long from now before, uh, his, his college career is over and he'll get a cup of coffee in in pro hockey at the end of the season, no doubt. And the fact that he made the Olympic team. Uh, he would probably be, if he's not playing in a league somewhere, uh, a candidate for the world championship team, even with USA. And then, you know, he'll compete for a roster spot next season. But like you said, he'll he'll probably get some time to cut his teeth at pro hockey at the American Hockey League level. And and they'll 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 be patient with him because it'd be a miracle for him to crack this roster, basically, based on all the names you just threw at me. So. So that's my take on on Faber, John. Where do you see him in their in their plans, and and how wrong am I, and how wrong am I in having him ranked at eighth? Well, I'd say the only thing you're wrong about. I liked a lot of what you just said there. But the only thing you might be wrong about is uh, the placing the placing on the rankings. Uh, Brock mm-hmm. Faber has, has the Mayor's Manor rocket strapped to his back, and he's 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 way <laughs> higher in the rankings than number eight. So you'll see that coming in the next couple of days. Uh, uh, you know, plans are plans. And while I laid out the plans for Brock Faber, it wouldn't surprise me to see him make the opening night roster simply because that's what Brock Faber does. He just continues to prove people wrong and he is going to force that conversation. He is not 
uh, turning pro and leaving Minnesota, which is a you know perennial national contender. He's not leaving Minnesota early and turning pro to go play in the American Hockey League. He thinks he has a chance to make the LA Kings roster. Uh, you know, similar to what we saw with Mikey Anderson coming out of uh, Minnesota Duluth, you could see Faber in the American League for half a season uh, and then finish next year with the LA Kings. So, you know, plans are plans, but when it comes to Brock Faber, the player, uh, you know, look, he's very underrated. Uh, he's an elite skater. You, you couldn't be more dominant defensively than, than what he has to offer. If he's able to continue uh, to add a little bit more offense to his game, that's only going to add to his value and ultimately determine what his ceiling is. But, you know, he has been absolutely outstanding at every level. He's been outstanding for the University of Minnesota. He's been outstanding for Team USA uh, at the World Juniors. He's been outstanding at the Olympics. Uh, he's just a phenomenal player. Like I said, he has a rocket strapped to his back. Uh, he's, he's on his way up the Mayor's Manor ranking. So Rock Faber is going to be pushing the conversation this summer and this uh, September in training camp. Right on. All right. So the next guy I have on my list, Tyler Madden, a little bit of a, a volatile asset here. Um, had a really good college career at Northeastern, uh, s- scored some really nice goals, had some really nice sellies, got a lot of uh, online attention and his stock went up and it's kind of, I kind of feel like it's gone back down a little bit uh, onto the negative side. I'm still a big fan of this player. I like his wheels. I like his hands. Um, how's he, how's he coming along since the Kings acquired him? How's his season going and, and what's his upside in this organization? Look, he's a completely different player than Rasmus Kapari, but I do draw this one comparable. Kapari was once near the top of the food chain in terms of the prospect pool, but the Kings have added so much depth around him in the prospect pool that he no longer is as high as he once was. The same thing could be said for Tyler Madden. The day that the LA Kings traded Tyler Toffoli, uh, for Tyler Madden, Tyler Madden was a top five prospect for the LA Kings. Uh, that's where he fit into their pool. And that we, we talked about that at the time in an article that we put out on Mayor's Manor. Um, he's now basically in that bottom half near the nine ten sort of ranking that you have him there. Uh, he, he, because of the, the, the quality of players that they've brought in around him, uh, you know, he's more of a tweener. He's not, he's not a Kempe, a Kaliev, a Velarde, a Turcotte. Um, you know, he, he's a step below that. So being a coach's son, having the right bloodlines, uh, saying and doing all the right things, you know, there's always going to be an opportunity in pro hockey for a guy like Tyler Madden, but he's going to need to put on some size uh, in terms of like weight, physical. He's a very slender player. And, um, you know, he missed half the season last year uh, due to injury, terrible cheap shot uh, type injury. Uh, but he needs to, he needs to, he needs to bulk up and I'm just not sure how he's going to do that, but he needs to do that or he's going to continue to have guys leapfrog him in the organization because things over the next two to three years are going to get more difficult. They're not going to get any easier when you look at the players that are, have already turned pro. And then you look at the players behind them and you have guys like Pinelli coming and you have guys like Sammy Hellenius coming and you have all these other players that will be turning pro uh, over the next couple of years. So uh, Madden's in for it, uh, but he certainly is skilled. And like I said, uh, he has the right bloodlines. So you, you can, you, you can get behind a player like Tyler Madden. You're just not sure what his ultimate ceiling is going to end up being. Right. Right. And an even bigger enigma for me is the guy I have ranked at number 10. Um, off the top of my head, when I started my rankings, I would have thought that he would have been a little bit higher. Um, so then I, I look at his stat lines and what's going on this season with Akil Thomas? So here's a player who was a hundred point player 
in the America in the Ontario Hockey League. Um, made the Canadian World Junior roster. Was a fringe player there, but scored the golden goal for them. Got a gold medal there. Uh, graduated to pro hockey last year. 40 games in the American Hockey League had 26 points. That's a good rookie season. And then this season, he's got 21 games played. He's got two assists. What's going on with uh, Akil Thomas? Well, the first thing I would just say, I've used the term recently of a zero year. And sometimes when a player is coming back from a serious injury, you have to eliminate and erase that year from your brain. And that's what's going on here. So Akil Thomas had double shoulder surgery last summer, caused him to miss the first half of this year. Very difficult to come in to a season, having missed training camp, very difficult to come into a season on a team that's in first place, mid-year, find your spot, find your role, develop chemistry with players at the American League level. It's extremely difficult. Uh, Akil Thomas, look, last season, he uh, when we did the uh, the awards at the end of the year on LA Kings Insider, Akil Thomas was named um, the, most, the player most likely to break out this season. He also finished um, second uh, as a runner-up in a different category as well. Uh, which I believe was for the uh, the MVP uh, award for player of the year. So that tells you the type of year that Akil Thomas had, um, not only what he meant to the team offensively as a rookie, but also what he brought in terms of grit, what he brought in terms of leadership. Akil Thomas is probably going to wear a letter for the uh, Ontario Reign next year as he continues his apprenticeship uh, with the Ontario Reign. So there's nothing to worry about when it comes to Akil Thomas. And uh, I, I will, I'll keep my comments short on Akil Thomas only because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to give people the impression that I'm his agent because I can stump for Akil Thomas for hours on end. This is a player that I have all the time in the world for. Uh, he's a, he's a special human being. He's very intelligent, very articulate. Uh, teammates love being around him. He's the guy that every coach wants on his team. Um, so I don't worry about Akil Thomas at all. You can put him, you can put him number three on your rankings. You can put him at number 22 on your rankings. Uh, does not mean anything when it comes to the future of Akil Thomas. He will play for the LA Kings. He's going to have a, a really long career with the LA Kings and do a lot of really cool things and be a fan favorite for many, many years to come. Uh, that tag that, that was bestowed upon him at the end of last season, saying that he would be the breakout player this year, uh, it just was delayed by one year. So he had the surgery over the summer. He's had a down year. Uh, have me back on in one year from now. And I'm highly confident we'll be talking about a breakout season from Akil Thomas. Well, I like the sound of that because I'm, I'm a fan of the kid too. I think he's a fantastic player. He's fun to watch. I can't say that I've, I've interviewed him or, or spoken to him. I don't, I don't know him on a personal level at any level, but, uh, um, but I wish him all the success. And I'm glad to hear that this is just a write-off year and that next year he's going to have a breakout. I might have to go and try and acquire him in my fantasy league. So that's my top 10, Quinton Byfield, Brant Clark, Alex Turcott, Arthur Kaliev, Rasmus Kapari, Francesco Pinelli, Sean Dersey, Brock Faber, Tyler Madden, Akil Thomas. Some of those guys should be considered graduated or will be graduating soon, which is no problem because there's a, a deep, deep list of super players to come behind this. Um, if you've got a, a minute, uh, John, I'll, I'll just kind of throw out a couple of names at you. I'm a... Uh, I'm in Kingston here. So I watch Martin Kromiak play a lot with France playing on a line with Shane Wright and they look great together. Um, you know, I don't see him getting a lot of um, internet service with, with recognition or rankings. And I don't know if that's because the Kings are just so deep or if that's because he was a, a later round pick. Um, but he is, 
he's a very good player. He's very, very smart. He's got great hands. He's got a very good shot and he reads the play so well. He times his passes and his positioning extremely well to make himself available for, um, for passes and, uh, and to, to create offense and plays. Um, he is a really valuable member of the Kingston Frontenacs. And, you know, if he was on another in an organization that didn't have such a deep depth chart, I think he would definitely crack a lot of teams top tens, in my opinion. Um, I might see him playing more than you, but you're definitely more connected to uh, the way the the team sees him and values him. So what what would you tell me about the Martin Chromiak file? Well, I think a lot of what you said there is true. Um, His offensive instincts are are phenomenal. He, He really reads space well. Uh, he, he's a, he's a good complimentary player. He has top six potential skating's really good. Uh, you know, the shot is, is, is outstanding. Look, this is a guy who I, I agree with you. He, he, he's, uh, he hasn't been getting the sexy headlines that some of the other players have, um, for whatever reason. However, he's going to turn pro this summer. He'll be with the Ontario rain next year. And I think if we were to talk in a year from now, people will be talking up Martin Chromiak. He, he's going to, he's going to really turn some heads next year. Uh, once he turns pro, and, and look, when it comes to Kingston as well, uh, he's he's somebody who, you know, he hasn't been a passenger on that line. A lot of attention on Shane Wright, but he, he probably, uh, especially in the early half of the season, um, was was one of the key per- people on that line. and was helping drive things. So uh, he deserves a lot of praise and a lot of credit. And some people that don't watch him or aren't familiar with his type of play might look at his him being on a line with a player like that and just discount that he's. He's uh, he's on the gravy train, and I would say that's not the case. And uh, you'll you'll see some good stuff from Martin Kromiak, I believe, when he turns pro uh, and is playing in the AHL next year. Yeah, yeah, right on. Uh, one more player I want to ask you real quickly about, and that is Andre Lee, the big uh, Swedish six foot five, two hundred and five pound forward playing in the uh, NCAA. He's in his third season at UMass Lowell, uh, asking mainly be out of personal interest because he's available in a lot of the fantasy leagues and one of the leagues that I'm in as well. Um, he's got 26 points in 31 games. Last time I looked, that's pretty good at the NCAA. He's 21 years old. He's big, he's physical, he bangs, he scores. Um, what's the, uh, what's the file on Andre Lee? Andre Lee is probably my, my most favorite prospect in the entire LA Kings organization. Doesn't mean he has the most skill. Doesn't mean he's in the top 10 rankings. But I love talking about Andre Lee. Uh, I love having him on the podcast. He's a really funny kid. Um, just just a, a really interesting person to get to know as a person. But then when you talk, when you watch him play as a player, uh, everybody has known from the beginning he was going to be a little bit of a project, as they say. You know, he had to grow into his, his body because he's a really big kid. Um, but there's two things that I really like about Andre Lee and, and that continue to be foundational pieces, I think, in his game. Number one, he has really soft hands in tight. When you look at a kid that big, you think power forward. You don't think of somebody who uh, has some really, really nice hands in tight. And he has that. He's shown that uh, both in LA when he's been at the development uh, uh, development camps and whatnot. He's also shown it uh, with uh, with UMass Lowell there as well. Uh, and the second thing is his his knack, his ability to score timely goals. Um, when his team, his collegiate team, needs a goal. Andre Lee is one of the go-to guys. He scored big goals for them in regular season, big goals in overtime, big goals for them uh, in the playoffs as well last year. So Andre Lee is just one of those players that when he's on the ice, 
you kind of sit up in your seat a little bit and you think, you know what, I might see something really cool, really special on this particular shift. And so I think the sky's the limit for, for Andre Lee. I think he's only going to continue to get better. I think as a late round, seventh round draft pick, you know, he's an afterthought for a lot of people. And you think he doesn't have a chance to make it uh, to become a professional hockey player, at least in the NHL. Uh, but you look at someone like Matt Roy, who was a seventh round draft pick, a collegiate player who was determined to make it. He's made it. Uh, I see the same thing for Andre Lee. I think he's determined to make it and I think he will make it. And I think eventually when he turns pro and spends a, spends a little while in the American league with the, with the Kings development staff, I absolutely could see him uh, carving out a really nice uh, role for himself, probably on the fourth line uh, down the road in Los Angeles. So pick him up in my fantasy league and, and don't wait any longer is what you're saying. Well, I mean, you know, you're going to have to hold up a couple of years because he won't, he won't be in the NHL soon, but um, you know, he, he's, he's a big kid. He's an older kid. He's more mature. And so his, his timeline is not necessarily going to be uh, it's not going to be as long as maybe someone like a Pinelli who we talked about earlier, right? A lot more skill if you were to grade him uh, in, in, a, in a Pinelli, but he, he's much younger in his development compared to where Andre Lee is. So yeah, I like I can... Andre Lee a lot. So if for no other reason, pick him up just to make me happy. That's a deal, bud. That's a deal. That's what you get for coming on the Dopper Prospects Radio <laughs> podcast. You get some say on my fantasy decisions. Um, I okay, I, one more. Just talk about one more player, and I'll let you choose because there's just so many more left to choose from on their depth chart here. It's ridiculous. You've got Samuel Fajimo, Jordan Spence, Helgi Granz, Jared Anderson, Dole, Aiden Dudas. Um, who would maybe be the the next best prospect um, in your estimation, the most relevant uh, that we haven't talked about yet? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you a kind of a two for answer, uh, three for actually, I would say Eight. Sammy Fagamo is certainly worthy of discussion because he's a top 10 prospect. So, uh, but, but the, the two guys that probably uh, we haven't talked about and that deserve to be talked about uh, would be Jordan Spence and Helga Granz, uh, two young defensemen playing professional hockey uh, with the American Hockey League, with, uh, in, with the Ontario Reign, I should say, in the, in the AHL this year. Uh, Jordan Spence is a phenomenal story. Uh, this is a kid who, uh, was the rookie of the year in the Quebec league, the, the uh, junior league. He then uh, went on to become the defensive player of the year. So just continued to get better. And uh, now he's the highest scoring rookie defenseman in the American hockey league. And he's just a couple points back of being the, uh, the, the leading goal scorer for all defensemen in the AHL, all defensemen, not just rookies uh, as a rookie. So uh, great year for Jordan Spence. He was called up to the LA Kings actually, uh, this week and uh, we'll have to see if he makes his NHL debut or if he's just sort of you know spending time practicing with the club but he's expected to go on a long run here with the Ontario Reign in the playoffs this year in the Calder Cup playoffs. Uh, Jordan Spence is a very uh, interesting player to keep an eye on because he's again on that right side where they are very very much loaded up right now as we talked about earlier with Brant Clark, Brock Faber, uh, etc. So as uh, another right shot defenseman and then you have Helga Granz who was a uh, you know uh, I believe they traded up to get him and uh, he, he's, he's a player who probably is, is better if you were to grade out all of their skills than Spence. Spence is more offense. Grons probably gives you a little bit better defense. He has a little bit more size to him. Um, and when all is said and done, he, he might play a little bit uh, further up the lineup defensively than Jordan Spence might. Uh, and and Grons might take a little bit longer to get there. But uh, he's been very impressive as a first-year pro coming over from, from Europe. He, he hasn't had that adjustment period or learning curve that so many European players uh, go through. So very impressed with both Jordan Spence and Helga Granz. And I would say when it comes time for the mayor's manor prospect rankings, you'll see a lot of love for both of those players. Ladies and gentlemen, 
John Hoven bringing the good stuff on episode 117 of the DPR show. John, thanks so much for uh, your time and your insight. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate uh, all of the the value that you've brought to this episode. Um, follow John on Twitter at um, Mayo NHL. And his blog website that he works for is Mayor's Manor. And their top prospect, it's not top 10, it's like top 25 I believe thereabouts, John. Yeah, you're going to get a top ten. Plus, you're going to get uh, honorable mentions for defensemen and forwards, and then you also get the uh, the goaltender rankings for the for the entire organization as well. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of player profiles, and like you said, follow it on Twitter, Mayor NHL, and uh, Mayor'sManner.com or Kings of the Podcast. We'd love to hear from uh, from the listeners, and if anybody wants to tell me I'm wrong, you know, feel free to shoot me a tweet. Love to read it. <laughs> I get those all the time. All right, yeah, so. Well- Kings of the Pod, uh, go ahead and give that podcast a a subscription and a five-star review. And while you're throwing out five-star reviews, go ahead and give me one too. (laughs) All right, John, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, uh, I guess we won't catch you in a rink because we're worlds apart. But uh, thanks again. Anytime, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure.